It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. And a special welcome to season 10 where we explore histories and mysteries of the British countryside. Throughout the course of this series, we'll be walking in ancient landscapes, unearthing forgotten myths, and even stumbling across a few chilling tales of the supernatural. And of course, we'll be recording all our usual and unusual wild adventures with nature along the way. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm the host of this podcast. And in this episode three, I'd like to invite you along with me for an adventure near my home in the Brecon Beacons in South Wales. Now, I've long been fascinated by an eerie mountain just to the west. In fact, I can see it now, looming rather darkly on the horizon. Its name is Munnath Hlangatak, and hidden high on its plateau are little-known monuments built by forgotten peoples. But even more intriguing, far across a trackless moor, is a small lake in Welsh, the Pool of the Witches. No one I know locally has ever visited this lake, so I set out one hot Sunday morning back in June in a quest to reach this strange body of water and to see what stories the landscape would reveal to me along the way. This is what happened. I'm standing at the foot of a giant field maple, standing alone here on the edge of the Llangatic Escarpment in the Brecon Beacons National Park. And I've got a view, the land falls away to the north. And I can see across the Valley of the Usk to the Black Mountains and Table Mountain above the village of Crickowl and then it's a sheep trying to get in a salt bin over here. So I'm surrounded by sheep and I can see the mountain of sugarloaf to the south. Scattered trees and hawthorns still in bloom with their great white flowers. And this wonderful field maple has this moss and lichen covered bark. And so the escarpment is like a line of cliffs. So you rise up out of the valley and I've driven quite a way out of my home in Abergavenny up narrow winding roads with great drops on one side. Quite terrifying, actually. And then you get to the sort of open common land and a little lane. And then to the south of this line of cliffs, um, which are broken in one area, where I can make my way up onto the hill. And then above that's a plateau of open moorland. And somewhere on that plateau is a pool lake almost called Pulch, 
richest pool in Marsh Gui of the and then Rock R H O C I apologize for my Welsh pronunciation. Pulch Gui Rock or Rok which means Pool of the Witches or Witches Pool. I've been fascinated by it. I feel that it's remote. There's no tracks to it. I can't find much about it, although I will do some research when I if I reach it, I'll do some research when I get home. I love the idea of this witch's pool hidden away in a vast expanse of moors. As you can hear, there's still plenty of birdsong around at the moment, even though it's mid-June. Song thrushes, wrens, blackbirds, sheep, lambs, hoverflies all over the gorse. Ah, there's a reed bunting, I think. So ching ching ching. Deep ching ching. There's a reed bunting somewhere in the bracken. Which isn't too high yet. Yeah, two, three feet high, it can get much higher and become impenetrable. But I need my big thick boots. Because treacherous land up ahead. The creamy flowers of these hawthorns. And the heavy smell of them. It's such a smell of I suppose my childhood. So there's a line of cliffs running away east-west. Although there is quite a big gap in them where I'm heading up. I very much doubt anyone's been out this morning. Well, it's really hot today. I've walked up on the top once or twice. I've never made it to the pool. But it can be very wet underfoot, even after we've had a couple of weeks of dryness. Just so many wrens here. This is a limestone landscape. So these cliffs were heavily quarried, but they're also riddled with caves and channels and all sorts of things from the action of water. In fact, it's one of the most extensive cave systems in Europe. But that also means that there's all sorts of holes and they're called sinkholes on the top where water has sort of pooled and worn its way into the rock. This can be quite dangerous. I've never fallen in one yet. I don't intend to today. But it's a landscape where you need your wits about, and even on a you know, cloudless day like today, it's still a bit of an undertaking to get up onto the moor, onto the plateau. So I'm going to make my way up this track. I'm following a track that sort of winds its way, quite a broad track, but one you could only really get a tractor up. I mean, it's, it is a farmer's track. As I watch more linnets flitting about. And uh, the cliffs just begin to build to the west of me and again to the east. But where I am, there's just its more gentle, brackeny slopes. But we'll come in, if we've got time, I'll investigate the cliffs later. But I'm going to push on to the top now. And I'm going through sort of spoil heaps of stones, meadow pipits, a couple of large carrion crows. These look like cairns, burial mounds. But I think they are just spoil heaps. It looks like there's a sort of sheep track I could take. I think this is the one I need to take. I think this is, this is the old tramway. 200 years ago, this area was a busy place. A huge amount of limestone was quarried and mined from the cliffs here. 
and a lot of the cliff faces are actually the result of mining. And this was used in the iron smelting um, processes of South Wales, which was absolutely the one of the key industrial hearts of the British Empire. And so they had a network of tram lines to... Well, there's a skylight just come out from under my feet there. Probably got a nest, I'm not going to go any closer. So they used stone as the sleepers, laid iron rails on it, and had horse-drawn carriages that were pulled along the rails. Along and around the hills, but also down to the canal, the Monmouth Brecon Canal. But, uh, oh, here we go, there's a track that um, runs parallel to the River Usk, all the way from Brecon to Newport, out into the wider world. And so I've just left that track and now heading south on a sort of rather steep little winding, probably a sheep path. But it's heading roughly in the direction I want to go. I've left the bracken behind and it's bilberries everywhere here. Bilberries and skylarks. That is a A wheat ear. Beautiful male wheat ear. Chuck, chuck, chuck. And when it flies, it shows off white tail feathers. But he's a really smart looking bird. He shouldn't like me being here, I'm going to move away. Scattered sheep around here. They do nibble these bilberries. These tiny white flowers. I don't know what they are. Very open, no trees now, I'm above the tree line. And then great rocks, naturally, just sitting on top of the, on top of the sort of grass. Like, giving it a really raw feel, even though it's a gorgeous sunny day. I know that I need to head head west towards some cairns, piles of stones. I'm going to be accompanied by skylarks all the way now. Skylarks and pippets. One of the only features in this open landscape is the rocky cairn ahead. There's skylarks all over it. This is... Skylarks aren't doing well nationally, but here they are, really quite common. I guess this little mound of stones, the bee comes and checks me out. These mounds of stones provide mini you know, microhabitats for the birds, for insects. That's a female. What is that? It's not a stone chat. Dusk, dusty brown bird. Actually, I think it's a female wheat here. I'm just going to walk past her little kingdom, her little fortress. So she owns this. Uh, oh, there's another one. I think these are young wheat ears. There's a little family of wheat ears here. Three of them. So now I can see the next line of of hills ahead. Hills, cairns. So I strike out for those. Unfortunately the track, which looks like it's probably been used by quad bikes. Farmers quad bikes. Stretched out ahead. Another small heath butterfly. And a bit of a breeze here actually, which is really welcome. And the path, there are these deep, mysterious holes, circular holes. They must be man-made little pits, some sort of industry, quite a few of them. And there's heather here, but it's still in its sort of wintry, dusky brown, dusky gray colouring. 
So as I approach this cairn, it's massive. It's gigantic. It's not a cairn. There are cairns on top of what is the peak of this mountain, Manath Langatuk. Like looking at a small castle. It's a sort of green peak, like a but flat at the top, wide, flat, like a huge crater almost. And the top, the fringes of the top of it are um, sort of scree, bare stone. There's so many skylarks and uh, little meadow pipits wheezing from the heather. It's going to be quite a tricky old day. That's a skylark just telling me to stay to the path. I will. Raise as many young as you can, dear friend. Ah, now up ahead. These are lovely. It's a, I think it's called cotton grass. They're like little jewels. And I think it must be slightly wetter up ahead. Anyway, they're like nodding little tufts of silk on uh, thin stems and they wave in the breeze, even the slightest breeze. Yeah, Skylark's pleased as well. They are lovely. There's a whole sort of meadow of them here. Uh, they feel very exotic. These little tufts of little, little clouds on sticks nodding and they are just the furry seed heads and the cairn castle is looming quite a sort of brooding presence even a glorious summer's day it is brooding menacing place I can see a skylark flickering against the deep blue. That's just wonderful. So in the foreground, the shattered slopes of this Cairn Castle. The Cairns are on the top. And then out across the some buttresses of uh, Langatic escarpment, and it's weird because it just drops into a cliff over the edge. So to the, to the north of me, it's quite daunting. I mean, it's quite a long way, probably half a mile now. But to know that there is no way off that way. But to the south, it just gently slopes down to, uh, to the valleys. But magnificent views of the big hills to the north of Crickowl. Uh, foot Mountain, Merthroid, Pen, Karakalch, Shigalof, Skirid. Gosh, there's, there's, there's so much to see here. So I've reached the top of the Cairn Castle and right beside a huge cairn. I don't know if these are burial mounds or what. It's gigantic. It's, oh, there must be 50 tonnes of stone, maybe more, piled up. Definitely man-made. And then there's uh, one of these trig points, these little triangulation points. Someone has left a stone with a butterfly painted on it. There's a skylark directly above me. I can see to the west the peaks of, the great peaks of the Brecon Beacons. Uh, I'm 529 meters above sea level here, so it says, and those are another two, three hundred meters higher. Although they don't look so much bigger from this distance. Anyway, there's a reservoir. Well, it's not the pool. Ah, I can see. I can see the pool. Pool Gui Rock. Never seen it before. Just a blue smudge. Bright blue smudge. I don't know. Two miles away, a mile and a half away. Pool Gui Rock. So I'm going to clamber down. This looks like real ankle breaker territory. And 
got to clamber among these stones for a bit. So I'm going to be, pay very special attention. But I just need to follow this line of... I can see the next cairns. They're about half a mile ahead. Slightly less, maybe. Yeah, and so I'm heading directly along this sort of slightly higher land. So I just need to measure. I need to be careful with my energy levels and water levels. Because it is a bit like going through a desert. There's no, there's no, you know, to be rescued up here. If I did twist my ankle, it would be um, helicopters, mountain rescue. I think they probably could get a quad bike up here. I really don't want to be foolish enough to have to call anyone out. Yeah, so the land really dr drops away. I'm on a high point. And the poof is definitely tucked down in a sort of broad plain. A bit, a bit trackless. Ah! because I've come too, too far south. I need to make my way quite carefully. I'd have got my big boots on. What is amazing is those distant peaks of Penavan, Cribbon, uh, Ecock, Vanubig. Uh, they'll be heaving, heaving with people today. Absolutely. You'll have to queue to get to the top beautiful day like this, whereas here, this extraordinary, beautiful, untouched landscape, it is just me. So right, I've reached this next cairn, the land really drops down, so I'm still sort of on this castle, this, what I'm claiming is a sort of natural castle. Great cushions of lichens in amongst the bilberry and, bra and heather and rocks poking out of the ground, as if they're sort of bones in the desert. Now there's a, another cairn off to the south, but I think that'll take me too far out of my, uh, out of where I need to go. In fact, no, that's the right way. Now I'm walking through Millennia, this dry moor grass, purple moor grass, not really purple, it's dry, pale, biscuity colour. The sound of it, the sort of swish of it under my feet, crunchy swish. Now, the pool really does seem further away. Got some skylarks there to cheer me on. Oh, there's a track here. There is another track. And I think this this looks more promising. This is definitely a track. It sort of goes in the right direction. It's so deceptive, this landscape. I must be getting close to the poof, but I can't see it now. And I look back to where I could see it from, the buttress of the cairns, and yeah, it's a long way back. How strange. So somewhere there's a lake hidden. I think I know, I'm pretty sure I'm in the right direction. And as, even as I speak, I can see sort of a rim of water. But it's still half a mile away, I'd say. Uh, it's really well hidden. It also makes me think, why is there a body of water up here on this plateau? Because this is limestone and there's peat, obviously, beneath all this. I feel it. The ground is spongy as I walk along this little path. Uh, there's horse droppings here, so I think I think there are wild horses here. I definitely wild horses out here. So I'm heading towards another sort of area of exposed, shattered rock. And I think this is considered to be a cairn. Who made these cairns? And why is there this pool? If it's limestone under here, it would all drain through. So I'm assuming that that part of the, the mountain is perhaps something, something less porous. Impermeable rock, which has created a little bowl to hold this water. 
and largely south of the pool. So I'm at the last cairn. Well, there are more cairns, but the last one, this is a, well, it's not a dual peak. It's just the middle has fallen out of it, so it looks like twin peaks. I've got to strike out, and there is, does look like a sort of sheep path towards Pulgwyrok. From a distance, it's just a, irregular shaped two or three football pitches maybe maybe a bit bigger there are definitely birds on it let's have a look at this distance three gulls more rushes here so I think it must feel it must be damper who named it witch's pool something's taking off They are the sublight pack gulls. How do I get to the pool? I'm quite close, but it's, there's no obvious way to it. I'll follow this broader track. It roughly goes in the right direction. So I'm approaching the lake. I'm going to go quite carefully. There's a lesser black pack gull and swifts hunting over it. A few ripples on the surface. Seems less blue as I get closer. More steely. It's got a few little inlets and bays. So to the whine of a twin-engine plane, I approach Pulguirok. Very peaceful scene. There are two gulls now. Skylarks. It's a strange place. It's a big area. Three football pitches, I would say. I think it's fed by little... So it's sort of in the bottom of a bell, but irregularly shaped. It's not a circle. A lot of... Um, I wonder if anything lives in here. And if it's an ancient lake, there's probably trout, but it could be very, very peaty and acidic. Dragonflies. There are dragonflies around the edge of this lake. You can see that for sure. So that means there's something for them to eat in the water. I can get down to the shore here. And these inlets very interesting. I wish I brought a pond dipping net. There's lots of moss here. And I'm getting through the uh, cotton grass. The water is crystal clear, but not crystal clear, it's peaty clear. It's the colour of tea you can hear. Oh, I'm treading in this thick, deep moss. Can't get to the edge. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. I don't want to get sucked under here. Oh, actually, I'm... Oh, dear. Don't like the feel of that at all. No, get back to the higher ground. Can I get closer? Yeah, there's some very obvious mossy, pale green mossy patches where it's really sucking my boots under. I didn't like that. But if I follow the line of millennia and rushes, I might be able to get down to the water. It's actually quite eerie. to that. It's like a huge sponge here. I can't actually get right up to the water. Oh, I'm wet up to my calves. Wow, that's the witch's pool then. It's got its, it's that's quite scary. Deep, deep, soggy moss. Ooh. My heart go down a bit. Let's sit down and contemplate this place. In the dry. That's the sound of my wet boots. Brief splash in Pulchwyrok. 
ancient people must have come here. The gulls obviously came for something. Yes, I did not like the sensation of being sucked down there. It's not great. It's arduous underfoot. Okay, I found a track which takes me to the eastern edge of the lake. There's a lot of cotton grass here. That's strange. I thought I heard voices. I'll have to re-listen to the uh, audio. So I'm just walking along the lake shore here. Pool of shore. And, uh, I don't think I would drink it, even if I was desperate. There's some damselflies. Male and a female. Common blue, I think. There's life for these creatures to eat in the water. Or for their larva to eat. Yeah, there's beautiful blue, electric blue damselflies. Not many. How I find my way back from here, I don't know. I'm completely trackless here. Got wet feet. But I guess we sort of make our way back to towards the cairns, yeah. I think that's the way to do it. So goodbye witch's pool. Well I've made a colossal error getting back from the witch's pool and maybe a spell was cast on me because I couldn't find my track back and I thought it looked like on the map there was a, a path or a fence or something but I sort of started off fairly merrily through the cotton grass occasionally crossed by uh, quad bike tracks but to my absolute horror it was I just got deeper and deeper into this boggy millennia. Uh, so sort of waist deep at times, wading in this hot weather. I'm still in the middle of it, but I found a sort of channel where I can speak again. And yeah, it's just, you don't know where you're putting your feet. It's thick, deep, uh, so hot as well that Unfortunately, I do have a lot of water, so I've been keeping my water up. Crows are circling, thinking, here's someone, an idiot. Um, so I'm sort of heading south, away from where I want to go, really, but it's to higher land and the rocky Cairn Ridge that I approached the pool from. So it was all easy getting there, but getting back, that's one of the most arduous miles I've ever walked. I'm feeling exhausted. Someone out there. A lone person walking over the top. The first person I've seen today. They're following the same path as I've just followed. Glad I got my stout boots on. So there's this guy walking towards me. He must be a mile away. He's got a backpack on and he's got a map. Yeah, he's avoided the mistake I've made, which is to go too far south and west, uh, north and west. Now I'm on a track on the highland, and I think I should be a bit breezier up here as well. But I should be fine now. Oh my goodness! There's the most enormous hole in the ground up here. Which I'm quite excited to have a look into. It's so mysterious up here. And apart from that very distant figure crossing the, the waste, this is a big sinkhole. You could hide out in there, no one would ever find you. They are uh, impressive nonetheless, landscape features. And if you didn't go off the beaten track, you'd never know they were here. So I've made it off the hill. 
and down looking up I'm down at the bottom of the cliffs now, these cliffs that run along the northern edge of Minas Langasic. So the plateau I've just crossed is, ends abruptly in these cliffs, but there are little breaks in it where I've sneaked through. So I'm just following the broadest of tramways, one of these old tramways. And in parts along here you can see the old sleepers, just here and there, hickledy-pickledy stones with holes drilled through them. And uh, just a sign of all the past industry. And there's all these spoil heaps that look unnatural but beautiful. And oh, now there's something exciting here. I don't know if I'll be able to see it. It's a it's a kestrel being mobbed by smaller birds. Yeah. What on earth is that? Oh, it's... Wheat ears. Here's some wheat ears song. They were chasing off the kestrel. And with the scolding calls of those wheat ears ringing in my ears, I found my way back to the car and then home. It was a brilliant, if rather challenging, walk but I left Malathlangatuk with more questions than I started out with. I really wanted to know more about how the witch's pool got its name and who built those strange cairns that are strung out along the peak. So I put in a few hours of research, but my own extensive library of Brecon Beacon's history revealed almost nothing, and online searches yielded even less. Until, that is, I stumbled upon an intriguing and mysterious blog by local walker and man of the countryside, Kevin Walker who had some stories to tell about this strange place. I tracked him down, and he kindly agreed to meet with me in the Bear Hotel in Crickhowell, which lies in the shadow of Mullerslangatuk, and is not very far from his home. Kevin, it's great to meet you here, and thank you for coming. Um, I would love to pick your brains about where I went, because I couldn't find very much anywhere. But I discovered your blog, and you're the only person I, I find who's written anything about it. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about Mulathlangatic and particularly Puch Gui Rock. Now you might be able to correct me, I might have been saying it wrong all this time. Well it's not bad, Puch Gui Rock. It's a mutation of the witch's pool, translated, it doesn't, it's no literal translation but the nearest would be the witch's pool. Um, the mountain itself is fascinating. It's it's my favourite place in the world. I mean, I've, I've been all over the world with work. Um, massive block of limestone. It's, for me, it's got everything. It's got archaeology. There are Bronze Age remains on the top. There are Iron Age remains on the top. It's got industrial archaeology. There, there are tram roads up there, the, the quarries from the tra that, that were there during the Industrial Revolution and, indeed, the Agricultural Revolution because the quarries first started as limestone quarries for lime to lime the fields. So there are lime kilns all over the place. And then with the Industrial Revolution, the iron industry needed limestone as a flux uh, when they were smelting the iron. And so the, the quarries suddenly expanded fantastically. And they needed to get the limestone to the ironworks, so they built tram roads. And in the year, sort of late, late 19th century, there were maybe 500 miles of tram road in the area. A road yeah. between sort of Blynav and Brynmawr. Absolutely, um, or maybe, maybe even more. Know, and on different, yeah. absolutely, different levels um, across the mountain. So the, the best preserved tram road is right on top of the mountain because no one's been up there. Just one question on the cliffs, which we can kind of see if we peered around the corner here. They, 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 if you ever come to Crickhallow, you can see this sort of line of impressive cliffs to the south. Is that quarried away? Yes. That's all quarried That's away? That's all quarries. So they're not natural cliffs, they've just no. been quarried. When That's you impressive. when you actually look at the escarpment from Krakow, it's it's a line of sinuous cliffs and, and, and outcrops and quarries and so on. Quite high up, you'll see natural outcrops. And what the quarrymen did, they exploited the fact that there was bare rock showing. So the first thing they did was to start cutting trenches in, into 
the place where the bare rocks were. Yeah. So you've got a mixture of corrid cliffs and natural cliffs. And that's one of the reasons that the flora and fauna on the escarpment, the, the Hlangatic escarpment, is so varied. Um, the Kleigerkeilai National Nature Reserve... Kleigerkeilai, I've always struggled with that. I'm so pleased okay. to hear that. Okay. <laughs> ...is one of, the earliest nature res- one of the earliest areas to be designated as a National Nature Reserve in, in Britain. And it was designated for the geomorphology because there are probably the finest cave systems in Britain, although Yorkshire people will argue with that, yeah. uh, and Derbyshire people. But um, certainly some of the finest cave systems in Britain are under Hlangatic Mountain. I notice you call it the Hollow Mountain. Which Absolutely. I wish I'd known that before I went up there. <laughs> it's such a lovely, uh, evocative name for I mean, There are chambers under Hlangatic Mountain that are breathtaking. I mean, you're talking about chambers that you could put St Paul's Cathedral in. That big, really natural chambers. So that's why it's Hollow Mountain. One of the biggest passages yet discovered, in fact, two of the biggest passages yet discovered in Britain are under that mountain. One is called the Hall of the Mountain Kings, which is in a cave called Ogov Kraigavanen, which you access from the Klidach side, from the south. Right, yes. And the other one is known as the Time Machine, which is a passage. Mm. And that's uh, in Ogov Daranakilai, uh, which cave is just referred to as Darren and you access that from the Hlangatic side, from the north. And it's possible to go in this little tiny hole in Darren Quarry and to come out in the Clitic Gorge. So I came across the line of Cairns, which mm-hmm. I wasn't sure, until I read your book, I wasn't <laughs> sure what they were. Right. Bron- Bronze Age, was that? Most of them are believed to be Bronze Age. There certainly are quite a few Bronze Age ones up there. There will be some that are later than that. Um, and some may even date from um, something we're going to talk about to do with the witch's pool. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, well, I'm interested. I mean, they are piles of stones. Yes. So if you go back three, 4,000 years to the Bronze Age times, then most of the people probably were living up there. The climate was different. The climate was slightly warmer. And so there are certainly there are areas up there where there are the remains of hut circles, and so oh, the so the Bronze Age people very probably would have lived a lot higher, um, because in those days the valleys were full of forest. It was a, a primal forest, and it was dangerous. It was very bleak up there. I mean, it, even on the sun, sunny day, we serenaded by skylarks who are who become quite friendly companions Absolutely. as you get deeper yes. and deeper into the. Um, to that sort of plateau, but there is a sort of bleak atmosphere, and I, which is haunting and rather beautiful. But I, so I followed the line of those Bronze Age cairns, and obviously arrived at this pool. The pool. <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting, obviously geologically, it's a strange thing to have a, have it a is, little it lake is. on top of a on top of a plateau like that. And as you as you probably realise, maybe even if only thinking back, when you're standing at the pool, the ground slopes downwards from it on three sides. Yeah. So the question has to be, why is it there? Yeah, Myster- very mysterious. And it also has a feel to it. Well, this is... Yeah. In your book, you talk about camping on the edge of oh. the Yeah, so tell me about Never that again. experience you had. Back in, uh, back in the day, um, in my mad youth, um, I once decided that it would be fun to camp um, by myself on the shores of this lake. Luckily, it was, a, it had been a, a, it was in summer and it was fairly dry um, because it is very, very boggy around there. I had a horrible experience. Yeah. Right, um, well, and it was all fine until I awoke in the middle of the night in an absolute cold sweat and nothing on God's earth would have persuaded me to open the door of the tent the malevolence was tangible. Really? There was a noise as if of rushing wind and rushing water, and, and oh really? So oh, it's well, that's outside. But that yeah. it appeared to be. No, was I having a nightmare? Was I still asleep? I don't know, but I remember it vividly. Mm. And eventually, the noise subsided. I fell back to sleep again, or a fitful sleep. Woke up in the morning, hesitantly opened the the door of the tent wondering what I was going to see and everything was fine and the skylarks were singing and you know but as I walked away from that pool my shoulder blades clenched 
and even talking about it now, I'm getting shivering really? feelings. Yeah, I can see. I, yeah. Oh gosh, how interesting! Because now, it's did you look at? Did you actually look at the water? Yes, very dark. Right. Like from a distance. Okay, from a distance. Obviously, it's got that sort of blue disc in this kind of millennia, sandy, biscuity coloured landscape. Right. But as I got close, it was very, very black. Yeah. And if you get a wouldn't be a glass up there, but if you've got a plastic bottle, clear plastic bottle or something, and actually take some water out of the lake, it looks like it's full of dried blood. Oh, really? Gosh. <laughs> now, purists will tell you that's the peat, but it looks like it's full of dried blood. And the legend is that back in the Dark Ages, a bloody battle was fought on the mountain between two of the five great tribes of Wales. And it was obviously in the days of broadswords and etc. Yeah, pretty brutal. It would be brutal. And the, it is said that the mountain ran red with blood, and it was a bloodbath. And the legend says that uh, after the battle, there was so much blood and gore left in the heart of the battle, which was sited where this lake is now, that the vegetation never had a chance to recover. And slowly it became inundated by the water from the bog. And that is why the water is blood red. And there are other legends saying the water is never still. Yeah. And I've, I've certainly never seen it still, even on a calm day. Yeah. There's always movement there. Right. Now, what's interesting is that um, latterly... So you did your research. You, you I did some research. National Library, various libraries and so on. Um, it is now believed in sort of scholarly circles that in the Dark Ages a battle was actually fought on this mountain. Um, so the battle was fought in 728 AD between Ethelbard the Mercian and the men of Morganog led by Roderick Molunog. The manuscript then says that the Mercians were heavily defeated in a bloodbath. The heart of the battle, according to the manuscripts, was where the pool is. Yeah, and it's yeah. known as the Battle of Hallingatic Mountain. From a logical perspective, it is, it is peat-coloured water. Absolutely. Um, but I, the, the, I, I think its situation, with this strange pool in the middle of nowhere, does give it this atmosphere which you've described. Um, when you stand at the pool, um, yes, the ground slopes down on three sides but eventually just rises slightly. Um, if you scan the horizon in 360 degrees, every high point that you can see has or certainly had a burial cairn on it. Um, the witch's element of the, of the pool, um, do you have any idea of why it might have been is it just because it's spooky it's because I think it's because it's spooky but also after battles then local witches would have gone up there and there would have been blood there would have been bodies there would have been a lot of not very nice things to look up out there and the the darker elements to rob I suppose as well to rob yeah and so on but um, it is that, that somewhere I read that witches, local witches, um, would have held covens up there at some time. Oh, um, but you see, there's never been a, a full archaeological, a proper archaeological investigation up there. But I understand that bronze swords have been found up there, and leather helmets have been found up there. In the in the in, in the peat. In, in the peat. Yeah, I want to camp there now, but I but also don't. Um, well, don't ask me to join you. Cause no, no, no. Well, it's, it's, but actually, listeners, you can go on a walk with Kevin and hear some of these stories. Isn't that right? Is that, it is absolutely. Till, till I don't. I don't do so much guided walking now. I don't certainly don't get groups together. But if people want one-to-one or if they they want me to guide them on a walk I'm quite happy to do that most of what I do is navigation courses so it's showing people how they can go out and enjoy the mountains themselves and do it safely sounds silly and you've got a you've got a website yep it's www.mountain-activities.com brilliant that would be great and you and get some stories along the way oh definitely my my tagline um, is bringing the landscape to life 
So even on the navigation courses, it's not just staring at maps and compasses. It's um, all the stories. Yeah, yeah. That's all part of it. The hair on the back of your neck stand up. Oh, yes. Kevin, thank you so much. It's really good to... It's a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. And a pleasure drinking beer with you. And you, sir. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, Trust Atlassian Software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. And that was an absolutely delicious pint of beer, drunk in the company of a fascinating storyteller. And I was so pleased to meet with Kevin Walker and to find out a bit more about that landscape that I walked through. And he had some interesting tales so what did you guys think? I'm joined in the studio by my podcast friends, Jack Bateman and Hannah Tribe, who, as always, chat over what we've listened to and help produce this this lovely podcast. What did you think? It feels like a typical TV story that you've gone on this sort of adventure to try and find something else and you've ended up in a pub and there's been someone there that's kind of told you the stories of the goings on around the, the local area next to a fireplace. It just felt all very mystical. He was incredible, Kevin. He talked. I recorded loads. In fact, he could make he could make a whole series of podcasts just just on his own because he had so many fantastic stories to tell about every nook and cranny of the Brecon Beacons and beyond, all sorts of things. So I felt rather spellbound in his presence, and it was great hearing him talking about camping by that pool. Hannah, you'll correct me. How do I say it properly? I know Kevin did. Pool. Is that any good? There's no L. You've got to okay. forget that there's ever Poof. an L. Poof. 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 Okay, getting there, getting there. Another couple of years. So, And it was the perfect sort of ending to, to end in a pub with a storyteller. It's funny how the atmosphere of places can completely change when it's the nighttime. Just that veil of darkness giving everything a sense of Other, creepiness otherness. and fear. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I mean, Kevin was pretty convincing that something strange was going on there whether whether that was just the night he wasn't you know he, he was I think he was quite honest that it could easily have been his imagination he was half asleep but it's still interesting he looked me right in the eye and I could see that his it's like hairs on end you know he, he was still had that he had a tremor about that that he had experienced something strange so yeah when I stayed at um, a house in Rossilli on Gower and I'd heard lots of stories about it being haunted but was sceptical about ghosts because they don't exist so I was perfectly comfortable with staying there totally fine reading loads of ghost stories being really blasé about the whole thing and then night fell <laughs> <laughs> and everything was suddenly like oh yeah of course I can see why people are scared of this place and I had been reading these stories and stuff about coach horses and all these sorts of things didn't really affect me but there was one story that I read that said something about something coming up off the beach and entering the house and that sort of unknown, that that feeling that something could be travelling almost through the darkness was terrifying. And I spent the whole week sleeping with the light on like I was five years old. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so something emerging from the sea. It's always the, the mist as well. The mist, 
the sea mist that's almost like darkness you kind of can't see but something can emerge from it at any minute it's like this sort of thickness this thing that something can travel through but because i had the light on it was like there was no darkness. <laughs> you were, you were so safe. silly <laughs> <laughs> i think that's really sweet that it's a good opportunity to bring in sound of the week now i've i've pulled a fast one here by editor's privilege because I, on that adventure out in the wilds, I recorded another bird, a really interesting one. And I, in the editing process, it just didn't fit to have it in there. It would have gone on and on and on. But there was this lovely moment right at the very end. I walked along this beautiful path that I'd never walked on up there. And it was just at the base of the cliffs. And there was just amazing bird sighting after amazing bird sighting. And at the very end, this little red start popped into a hawthorn tree, which was fully in flower. And this bright red-breasted bird sat in the tree and followed me and made this the following little noise he's so close to me hello so that was a really delightful end to my adventure. Oh, apart from the fact that I ended up having a beer with Kevin Walker. <laughs> so um, so again, thank you to Kevin. And I hope we can have Kevin again at some stage. Now, it's time for a very brief podcast post bag. And Jack, I think you've delved extra deep this week. I've, gone, special. I've gone swimming in the post bag this week. <laughs> I've dived, dived to the bottom and I've pulled out a review. <laughs> a review? I've got a review for us, yeah. Oh, a review. This is exciting. And the review is from Wiglomerator. Wiglomerator? Wiglomerator. Okay. I think I'm saying that correctly. It starts with Sublime. Oh. Informative, relaxing, entertaining. A perfect blend, especially for the current times. Fergus could well be on his way to becoming the next Winford Vaughan Thomas of countryside and nature presenters. Well, I mean, that. Well, thank you, Wigglomerator. I, I did have to look up who Winford Vaughan Thomas was, but I'm greatly ashamed to say. But it turns out he's this. Uh, he was a BBC broadcaster who wrote widely about. He was Welsh, obviously. And uh, he wrote widely. More specifically, he was from Swansea. He was more, oh, okay. Well, you you tell it. You, well, at least he was born in Swansea. Yes, and he's a contemporary of Dylan Thomas. Oh, really? So they went to school together, and his writing and his sort of style is very much like Dylan Thomas. They've got a similar sort of sentences that run into one another and lovely use of adjectives. They had the same English tutor, who was Dylan Thomas's dad. So they. They're a lovely sort of pair to sh- like listen to and read together if you ever find yourself. Oh, so you knew all about him all this time? Well, I sort of, I had this little feeling when I read it. I was like, mm, yes, Winford Vaughan Thomas has a resonance and it turns out we've got loads of his books and writings and bits of information that he has collected he is he's a swansea boy but you you, you knew all about him and you let me start to <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know all about him I, I there was a there was a little chunk little twinkle of recognition well i'm i'm um, super flattered to be now to be compared to this incredible <laughs> man um but i think it makes sense for us to actually do more about winford vaughan thomas and devote an entire podcast to him at some stage so thank you very much wigglomerator for introducing us to uh, Winford Vaughan Thomas. I did look him up. It turns out that he his one of his most famous moments was broadcasting live from a Lancaster bomber during the Second World War as it was going on a bombing raid over Berlin. Wow. Oh, well, I wonder if we can find that recording and um, include that. Well, we'll see. Okay, well, look, that's really kind of Wiglomerate. Please do leave uh, feedback and reviews for us because the more you leave, the more we uh, get promoted by the various podcast providers and that really helps us. Uh, and you can email me as well, um, Fergus Collins. My email is editor at countryfile.com. And we all love to read these emails. We get quite a few and we've got some great sounds of the week coming up and some great comments coming up over the next few episodes. We also print the best ones in the magazine as well as reading them in the podcast. So that's it for this week. We return next week with an adventure in the lost town of Old Sarum in Wiltshire uh, on the edge of Salisbury with the great walker and writer Christopher Somerville. 
and it's a fantastic adventure there. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye from us. <laughs>